1: What's up, good people? Welcome to Outside the Trenches here on KC Sports Network. We appreciate you spending part of your day with us as we inch ever so closer to the NFL draft coming up this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Now, if you don't have a spot yet to watch the draft and you are in the Kansas City area, we invite you to join our crew at the Kingdom Bar and Grill in Overland Park. We'll be going live throughout the entire draft. We'll have 360 vodka drink specials, thanks to our partnership with 360 Vodka. We'll have the 360 girls out there on Thursday and Friday handing out samples, passing out drinks. We'll have food specials, special guest giveaways, and a lot more. It is going to be a good time. I can promise you that. And if you can't make it, follow us as a second screen option on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or Twitch. We have got you covered wherever you are at. And everybody, I am really excited for today's show as we have Carmen Vitale of the Draft Network on to talk us through what we could be seeing on Thursday night and what might surprise us. Carmen, it is good to see you.
2: It's great to see you,
1: BJ. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. I, I'm so excited for you and, and we know each other a little bit. I want to get into kind of your path and how you ended up at the draft networks. I know you haven't been there all that long, uh, but can you just, I know you're speaking to Chiefs fans right now, uh, but can you talk a little bit about just how you ended up where you're at and you know what your role is right now?
2: Yeah, no, this past six seasons, I was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Uh, through that Super Bowl season over the Kansas mm-hmm. City Chiefs, in fact. You had to go there. So I don't, to yeah, go I there. did. of course I did. Of course I did. What was I going to do? I'm not going to shy around. I mean, I'm not flashing the ring. I was going to say, I, surp- I half surprised you to
1: have, like, I thought you were going to have your ring on, but I appreciate you for not doing that.
2: <laughs> and, I mean, the Chiefs have one, too. It's all like, you know, this is really that, like, it. You're fine. The Chiefs fans are fine. That was the whole thing I said that entire season was like, Chiefs fans are fine. They don't need this one. Give this to us, please. Um, but it was, a, it was a wonderful experience. Um, loved being part of the team really had was just so lucky with the staffs and the players that I got to work around, um, especially Bruce Arian staff. I can't Bruce Arian's staff can't say enough about that um, group of men and women for that matter. And, and the, all the access and just, you know, them just generally letting me hang around and learn so much um, about this industry uh, through that experience. So I loved it, um, had a great time, but moved on, just knew that it was time to move on to something different. Uh, wanted to start covering the whole league and, and not be so hyper-focused on one team anymore. Uh, I'm an NFL fan. I've grown up an NFL fan. I grew up outside Chicago actually a long time suffering bears fan and i've been in hibernation (laughs) uh for the last six years because (laughs) i was clearly i clearly cared about one team and one team only uh and they will always have a special place in my heart but now my bears fandom is back and so is the fandom for the rest of this league so now i get to cover the entire league for the draft network uh in part of their bolstered uh, effort to cover the league and and the pros not just the draft. Um, so that's kind of a, where the company is moving and it's super exciting and I'm really happy to be able to build something, uh, along with a, just a tremendous group of people.
1: Yeah. Just from the outside and, and not knowing a lot of people uh, who are there right now, but just seeing what the draft network has become and what, seeing where it started and that it was, yeah. it was a perfect time for something like that, uh, in this kind of digital space to kind of lean in on these new platforms and the way that things are doing, uh, and just the way that it presents itself is very professional the content has been fantastic yeah, uh, there's a lot be. of great people over there and so it was really exciting to see you get a piece of that uh, and go over there and kind of add to what they're building is really cool and I, I got to go back to this because it kind of hurts my heart a little bit that it didn't work out necessarily the way that Bears fans would have wanted with Matt Nagy as somebody who was a chance to yeah. be around him for a number of years I would have mm-hmm. put a lot of money on him being a successful head coach. And th- you know, we both know there are a lot of things that go into someone being successful at that level. Some are in mm-hmm. their control, some are not. We won't necessarily right. know everything about everything, but I can tell you that your general manager is amazing and one of my favorite people. And not only is Ryan Poles amazing, Trey Koziel, who he brought over to work on that personnel staff is somebody I got to know really well when I was with the Chiefs and Trey I had talked to him when we were out in Vegas for the East-West Shrine Bowl back in January. Uh, and Trey is a phenomenal, not just scout and evaluator and he was an asset to the Chiefs for the number of years that he was there, but just a fantastic person. And that that's the one thing and I want to ask you about that because I'm going off topic here a little bit, but whatever. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, it's the thing that I love the most about working with the Chiefs. It wasn't even the, the being the conduit between the fans and the organization, and being able to tell stories and kind of connect that um, those two things in like a in a cool way to kind of bring insight into the organization while knowing that there are a lot of you know things that you have to avoid and things you can and can't do. It's a very creative process <laughs> that people like yourself that were so good at it and Kiana so good at it. Oh and my gosh. Like it's just it was it's cool to talk with people who understand the dynamics that are involved and the challenge that's involved to still figure out a way to create value for what you're doing that brings value to fans and that they're interested in the stuff that you're doing. Uh, and I, I followed a little bit of what you're doing with the Bucks. It hurt my heart uh, when they lost. But, <laughs> um, but what, do you, what do you miss most? Because for me, it was getting to know, it wasn't necessarily always the content, but just getting to know how everything worked and how many people behind the scenes that you never hear from or never see necessarily but are so vital to what's happening that was what was cool for me what i know it still hasn't been that long but what was it that you you love most about working for a team
2: no that was definitely up there and i think um you're actually the second person to tell me about what what's his name again the one on like that ryan poles took with him trey 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 okay (laughs) so you're the second person to talk about him with me um and just to say like oh my god he's a great guy like you know the same exact sentiment you just gave me. Um, but that was, but that was the big thing, right? Is when you're part of these organizations, you see not just the general manager, not just the head coach. You see what happens behind the scenes. Like uh, with the Bucks, it was John Spytek and Mike Greenberg and Jackie Davidson behind Jason Light uh, that mm-hmm. made everything work so well. And I think Mike Greenberg especially has gotten some of his due and I love seeing like good morning football, like all those guys kind of mm-hmm. give love, to the people that don't maybe get, that don't get to share in the spotlight, but are nonetheless vital to what that organization is trying to do. And yeah, I mean, I'm a big relationships person and I just, I love learning about the game itself. And so I mentioned it earlier when I was talking about how grateful I was to the, Bruce's staff because, like I said, they just let me hang around and I learned so much as far as the game of football goes. Um, you know, got to dissect the defense and and I got to learn just, you know, firsthand what went into the offense and building that out and, and where, I don't know, just where like the, the priorities were and you get to talk about so many things and just have these conversations in the hallway and you can Mm -hmm. just walk down to, you know, coaches offices and and ask them about something right away. Like, you know, something happens in a game, good, bad, or, or, or whatever. And you can be like, okay, I need to figure out why that happened. And you can go and you can figure it out. Whether you can say what happened is another story. <laughs> and that is the, you have to kind of walk along eggshells and kind of dodge landmines as far as things that you can and can't say. Uh, but I really thought that you know bringing people closer and bringing people a view of these guys who they were as people and the people that are behind the scenes more um, only connects the fans even more. And I really yeah. appreciated getting to be that go-between. And that was kind of my mission in a lot of ways. I, that's kind of how I operate too when it comes to players. Like I love the trench guys because I don't think they get enough credit uh, <laughs> yeah. between the offensive line and the defensive line. Like I just, I want to sing their praises constantly. And so, but that, that goes for, you know, staff and personnel too. I want to sing the praises of the guys that don't get it. Uh, Cause like, again, it just makes it's, there's so many moving parts and there's so it takes so much to make stuff happen um, that people don't even get to see. So I try to, pull back the curtain as much as I possibly could and show who who these guys and girls were for that matter.
1: I want to throw a little love out to Mike Borgonzi, Mike Bradway, a couple of those guys in (laughs) addition to Ryan Poles, those guys that, that helped Brett. And that it's a, it's a whole team effort, but uh, it's funny to say that about, you know, something goes wrong or you see something in a game, you go down to coaches. Chiefs weren't really like that. I couldn't just walk into coach's (laughs) office and be like, Hey, I got a question. But there were times in which like, I wanted to go into like the player's film room. Uh, and just right. kind of watched on the EXO system back before they just went full iPads. They had like work rooms where you could go watch film. Right. I remember getting, having to get permission from John Dorsey at that time to go in and watch film. And he just said, like, why do you need this? And I said, I just don't want to ask a stupid question of coach because, you know, like you need to know better if you're working for the team where a guy goes out and catches a touchdown. And everybody's talking about game money touchdown. Everybody talks about him well, if the rest of the game, he missed a bunch of blocks, dropped a pass, ran a wrong route, like coach isn't going to be happy with his performance, even if he right. made the one play at the end. Well, I wanted to make sure I was the one putting coach in a position. If I asked a question in a presser, I needed to be fully aware if I was asking about somebody doing well, that they really did do well the way that coaches see it, not just the way that we see it on the outside. Right. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's that fine line of, you break something down. I was never a big breakdown. I I love mm-hmm. football in that way, but I knew what I didn't know. And right. it's funny, the more basic questions you ask people of that level, and I think this would surprise people on the outside that think you need to show how smart you are to some of these people where if you're real with them and just like, I don't really understand, like even this basic game, they yep. love teaching you. If you show they them do. Hey, I'm just trying to learn the game. I am not trying to present myself as an equal or that. Look how smart I, because it's very easy to see through that at that level. Um, I always had more, got more respect by just asking some of those, not being afraid to ask some, what I would think be air quote, dumb questions. Um, But yeah, it, uh, it was a, it was a great experience uh, during my time. I know you love your time with the Bucks, but let's get to the draft (laughs) stuff here now, because uh, that's what we're here to talk about. And the draft is almost here. I want to go through five things that could happen or five topics, five storylines on Thursday night that might surprise people a little bit. And just to start plugging that in, like, here's, you know, something to keep in mind. Uh, so I want to go through those with you, if that's okay.
2: Let's do it. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of surprises because I can't remember the last time that none of us knew who the first round pick was going to be who <laughs> like, or the first overall pick was going to be who like, I, I feel like I, there's a new rumor every day and I don't know what to believe, which you don't believe anything
1: coming out this I week. I just turn like Twitter, nothing, like, I just mute everybody. Like I don't nothing coming out this week,
2: you. honestly, the last two weeks, you really shouldn't, yeah. you know, it's all smoke screen. I just can't figure out the Jags. I, this is, this is a side, an, aside, an aside, but like, I can't figure out like the Jags, they have the first overall pick why you don't need to smoke screen. You don't need to just, (laughs) I'm like, unless there really is like a difference of opinion between all the major decision makers in the Jags organization. Like, and I'm inclined to think that maybe that is the case because otherwise like what motivation do you have?
1: Yeah. It, I think everything is a smoke screen, but that's actually a good point that there's some organizations that stuff may just get out. (laughs) It may just leak out. Like they have no idea. And
2: if it's going to be uh, an organization, (laughs) gonna be?
1: Just that the junk on the Jags here but yeah it's never going to happen with the Chiefs I can tell you that people say they know what the Chiefs are going to do they do not know what the Chiefs are going to do there is no benefit to the Chiefs telling anybody uh, what they want to do going into this draft so I will believe nothing that I hear coming out of rumors around the Chiefs right now but let's go with the first one and that is let's talk wide receivers in this draft I think you know, paying attention to what happened in free agency and looking at some of the money that got thrown around. And we're, while we're dunking on the Jags, we can talk about Christian Kirk <laughs> getting 30, $37 million guaranteed. That's not the length of the deal. That's guaranteed money over four years. Allen Robinson, $30 million guaranteed. Russell Gage got $20 million guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Zay Jones, $14 million guaranteed. And when you look at that, relatively speaking to what a first round pick could cost in a very deep wide receiver draft. And some of these mock drafts, you have as many as seven, eight wide receivers going in the first round just based on talent. Well, when you look at the business side of the game, you know, a first round pick, like the 18th pick last year was slotted to get $15.6 million guaranteed over four years. And so some of these contracts, we were just talking guaranteed money. Those contracts are two times, three times that size over the length of the deal. So how many wide receivers do you expect to go and is, is looking at seven and I'm talking, you know, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Chris Olave, Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, uh, Christian Watson, George Pickens, Sky Moore. I mean, that's nine guys right there that yeah. have all been projected as first round picks. Do you think that this is a thing that we are actually going to see come to fruition because of just the wide receiver contracts being out of control in free agency?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of the perfect storm, right? Just because you've named those nine guys, but all nine guys are deserving of those first round grades and they're deserving of those first round um, positions and selections. So not only do you have now this need with this wide receiver market um, being the latest victim of inflation in this country, but you also have the talent to back it up. And I think that just in general, this, this draft is very deep at, at multiple positions because of that COVID year, guys going back, now coming back. Um, you know, they went to school, went, went back to school for one year and now they're coming out. Um, so you have this influx of talent and I think it's the perfect storm. And I don't think, yeah, I mean, you're going to want to get these guys on the cheap as much as possible because you're not going to be able to afford them down the line. You might not even afford their fifth year options at this point, um, for, for what's happening in, in the league and across the league. And again, for like players that maybe aren't bona fide wide receiver ones or X, I mean, like you, we've. Again, the Jags, but like Christian Kirk, I don't think anybody would, by far and away, say that he's like top. I don't know, you know, top ten receivers in this league. Like, would you put him in the top ten? Because I don't think I.
1: I put him in the top ten of great timing to be a free agent. Yeah, <laughs> that's what yes. I, most players. I are... having
2: a GM that needs to save his job. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, and I don't like to say. That, yeah, that's true. I don't think, and I hate saying this because I don't think any player is overpaid. But as right. it, because I, I think they should all get paid. Um, right. but as that's it relates, a big, to- that's a big
2: football, I think, um, I've heard that from scouts, from personnel and <clears throat> coaches. It's like, you're worth what you can get at the end of the day you're working by the
1: market not by the talents when you become a free agent are you healthy during that one window where you get to become a free agent and if you hit it right I mean we could all be Kirk Cousins (laughs) just be perfect in the right situation obviously the right position but just make tons and tons Sam Bradford just he was it was the right time for him to be a free agent uh and all of that for it to play out that way but I do think there's definitely something as you have all of these guys behind the scenes that, that run the cap. And for the chiefs, it's, you know, it's Brant Tillis and Chris Shea guys that you might hear their names every once in a while, but those are the guys setting the cap. They're the ones projecting. This is what we think the cap's going to be two years, three years, four years down the road. Here's our cash flow, which is re- really where they budget, not necessarily cap. Cause you can move cap around all over the place, but you know, cash flow is the one place where any business has to set a budget. And so they're the ones kind of planning out what this looks like and they have an idea what wide receivers are coming up in free agency next year and the year after it's really a, a 40 game of chess that they're playing that mm-hmm. fans when they just look at a board saying these are the top talents available this year they're all playing this kind of long game as it relates okay. but you know the the comp, the rop, roster composition as it comes to the finances when you look at the wide receiver position and what happened um I to your point, you have a lot of guys, nine guys right there that could be taken in the first and not a lot of people are going to be terribly surprised that those Mm -hmm. guys go high. But when you have a team like the chiefs um, or some of the other teams that are going to be picking at the end of the first round that might need some help at wide receiver. uh, It it makes all the sense in the world to get these guys quote on the cheap (laughs) compared (laughs) to what they would have to pay. You know, to your point, Christian Kirk is not a top 10 receiver; he's probably not even a top 20 receiver in the league to be honest. But you needed help and you didn't have a young guy available because either you just you're, you missed on your draft picks or you didn't invest in that position. This is the flip side. Well, now you've got to overpay compared to what you would get in the draft to get a veteran who could come in and play right away. Uh, but wide receivers definitely want Chiefs fans, they've been talking wide receiver. It's a popular pick for the Chiefs right now. They mm-hmm. lost Tyree Kill. Obviously, they brought in Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They brought in Juju Smith-Schuster. They still have Travis Kelsey. But those aren't. I guess they long-term deals, those guys aren't going to be with Patrick Holmes throughout the majority of, you know, the prime of his career. So they need some young talent there. Do they wait to the second round? Do they take a guy in the first, the roster composition, the contract stuff has to be part of that conversation
2: absolutely and yeah i mean these guys are also evaluating classes two three years out so you know who's coming up next year and the year after that and and, in the draft and then not only whose whose contracts are expiring but then yeah the players that are going to be coming into the league as well so you have to take all of that into account i don't envy any of those cap guys because there is it's a constantly moving puzzle (laughs) and yeah it's insane
1: yeah, it, they say the cap doesn't <laughs> exist, but that doesn't mean there aren't guys behind the scenes that have to do a lot of work to move things around and make it work. Um, Accounting has move- gotten
2: very creative, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and now they got voidable years, and now yeah, they just keep right. adding things to it. It's like at this point, just rewrite the rules. <laughs> like if, if the cap doesn't exist, let's just figure out let's, a new way to do right. this. But exactly. let's move on to the second topic, and this one um, is indirectly tied to the Chiefs and Chiefs fans should be rooting for this, and that is quarterbacks. Um, you've got. You know your Kenny Picketts, your your Malik Willis, your Desmond Ritters. You have these guys that uh, people are projecting to go in the first round. Um, there's not that bona fide one guy who's going number one overall that you could just slot it in. Uh, not that the Jags need a quarterback right now after taking Trevor Lawrence, but um, you know where do you see some of these quarterbacks going? The, there's some stuff on social media the last couple of days about Malik Willis being a second round talent. Malik Willis ain't going in the second round. I can tell you that <laughs> right now uh, without even talking to people around the league, but where do you think a surprise could come on Thursday night with either the number of quarterbacks going or how high they go? Cause as a chiefs fan, I want as many quarterbacks going as high as possible. I want people trading up for quarterbacks and push some of those, those skill position guys down.
2: I mean, yeah, there's two times types of teams, right? There's teams that need a quarterback and then there's teams that are rooting for all the quarterbacks to go um, <laughs> because they want, you know, all these other players to fall. But I, I'm a little bit more in the camp of, I don't know that Malik Willis will fall out into the second round, but I don't think he'll be the first quarterback taken. um, Just because I feel like if you are a quarterback needy team and so much so that you're about to take a quarterback in the first round, you're going to need that guy to come in and be an impact player right away. Mm. And I think Malik's ceiling, I've said this, you know, this, this, this whole process, like Malik's ceiling is the highest of this quarterback class. I don't think there's a doubt about that, but he is a work in progress. And he is not going to be ready to start and command an NFL offense right away. And I think that Kenny Pickett is the guy that could maybe you could slot in um, and be that he's he's the high floor guy, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's interesting when you're talking about you know the talent pool of, of these quarterbacks. Yes, there are guys that have higher ceilings. I think Desmond Ritter kind of falls into that category too but you're going to need to work on them. So their ideal spot landing spot is somewhere that already has a quarterback, at least for a year or two. And you can develop these guys. And I just don't think that the, the teams that are like that quarterback needy they're I think, I feel like they're going to be fighting over Kenny Pickett because they need someone to come in right away and they don't have the luxury of sitting him behind someone else, you know, sitting a quarterback behind someone else. Um, and I mean, in talking to people around the league, like I understand kind of this narrative of these guys kind of dropping out and maybe kind of falling because anybody that I've talked to doesn't have a 1st round grade on any of these quarterbacks for that matter, even, even Kenny Pickett. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's interesting when, you know, and that's what matters, right. Is when it's, it's not the media hype and it's not like how, like, we're all perceiving these guys and, and who's, you know, the best, whatever. It's how, NFL front offices see these guys, and if they don't have first-round carries on these guys, I, I think it could. And I, I, it's not a good thing for your Chiefs um, if things <laughs> it, are, you know, if, if the quarterbacks do fall. <laughs> it could still. I mean, you're picking
1: at twenty-nine and thirty, so even if some of these yeah. quarterbacks, if Ritter and and I don't think Willis is going to fall that far, um, yeah. and and you would you would know you're more plugged in on this stuff than I am. Uh, but just from a talent perspective and a quarterback perspective, I'd be surprised if they fell that far. But you start getting teams at the top of the second round that start getting a little nervous that hey I can't believe the guy's still there uh in the 20s the late right. teens uh trade up that's still good for the chiefs <laughs> some yeah. of those guys that's will true. still fall push down but um yeah I think you know the one thing with quarterbacks and I you know it, it seems obvious to say this at this point but you can't Understand the mental acuity of playing that position unless you sit in that meeting room and you talk with them about it. And that's going to be the thing with Malik Willis that if a team takes him high, then he sat and he absolutely aced his ability to understand how to read defenses and how to run offenses outside of what he was asked to do in college. And Mm -hmm. so he's going to run a new system and that's going to be, does that OC does that quarterback coach believe that he has the ability to look at a defense and know what he's trying to do offensively and how to combat that play that chess game that quarterbacks at that level have to play that, isn't discussed enough because it's that whole side of the game that we don't understand. I've said that before. It's what Patrick Mahomes never gets enough credit for is his idactic memory. Like he has photographic memory. He could tell you every defense he faces, how many times they ran it, what they do in these situations, what their Mm -hmm. tendencies are. And that's what ultimately is going to decide whether these young quarterbacks are successful or not. I think you bring up a great point of it's going to depend on the situation he goes to. And I think that's probably true for every quarterback Uh, whoever gets drafted go to the right situation if they need to sit let them sit but i'm team everybody draft up for a
0: move up for a quarterback (laughs) if they need to we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data
1: Uh, the next one is, is very much involved with, with Chiefs fans because there have been these things thrown out for the last few weeks. And this is before the window of I don't trust anything. So this stuff <laughs> was being thrown out there. And that is Oregon edge rusher Kayvon Thibodeau and him falling, uh, relatively speaking, to what people thought, which was he's a top five pick talent-wise. Right. And now they're saying, hey, maybe he falls you know, down near 10 or even a little bit after 10. Do you believe any of this for a talent like that? Or do you think there's something real here that we could see him fall? Because edge rusher is definitely a position that Chiefs are going to address with one of their first three picks, whether it's a trade for a veteran that we don't see coming, or if it's one of those first draft picks, I need an edge rusher. Kayvon Falling has uh, the ears perked up of some Chiefs fans. Do you think it's real, or do you think this is all made up?
2: I think it's made up quite honestly. I don't think that that guy with that much talent uh, and just that much explosiveness and bend and versatility that he has there. I feel like NFL front offices are not going to be, you know, scared by (laughs) this narrative that like, he doesn't care about football or whatever it is. Again, like you said before, we don't know how these guys are in those meetings with coaches and scouts and GMs and stuff. And I think that he's probably blown a lot of these guys away because he's a very cerebral player. And I mean, the PAC 12 gets the knocks that it does. And I get it, but I mean, he was just, I mean, a defensive like like cornerstone of that Oregon defense. And he went, you go against very athletic offenses in the PAC 12. They might not be, you know, that ground and pound, like really good sec type, Offenses, but you're still getting pro-style offenses that you're going against, and so I just think that with the skill set he has, I mean, I think people kind of needed to manufacture narratives around him just because of the fact that it was so. Like, he's he's a good player. Anybody you watch, you know, one game of his, and you can see it. Um, And I don't think that, like I said, NFL front offices are scared off by the potential. I have to catch myself even when like you know, the media gets to talk to these guys at podium sessions and stuff like the combine and everything like that. And some of these guys are not super interested in talking to the media and all the other stuff. And my feel, personal feelings aside, like, does that mean that he can't play on Sundays? No, it doesn't. Right. It might mean that he's not going to be a media darling. He might not be the yeah. best at your asset that shoot. Um, you know, you might not want to bring him into the post game press conference all that much, unless he has a big game, whatever that is. But like, that doesn't affect their performance on the field. And so I don't think that that's taken into consideration by NFL front offices literally at all.
1: Yeah, we we as in the media on the outside now spend so much time talking about this. We're from an organizational standpoint. You know how easy it is to figure out. You call your area scout and you say, how does this guy practice in the middle of like the spring? It's going hard. You, yeah. you contact Oregon's weight strength and conditioning coach like how is this guy show up to all of the the voluntary workouts in the summer how does this guy work that tells you if a guy cares about football correct uh, i remember talking with mike borganzi about this spe- specific thing and that it, it was just asking these guys do is that player going hard does football mean something to him mm-hmm. outside of everything else it's very easy for those guys to figure that out and that's where your area scouts and their relationship with the head coaches plays such a vital role of those guys those coaches being honest with those scouts of does this guy really care about football and that is does he care about practicing hard and holding his teammates accountable not just when the lights come on on Saturdays or in a primetime game in the Pac-12 or when he's interviewing at the combine or I always enjoy talking with guys at either the senior bowl or shrine bowl because it feels like agents haven't gone through media training like they do at the combine because by the time you get the combine they're not saying anything like they're, no, just to, no, they're just here they're to. They're just here to contribute. They're just. They're going to do whatever their coaches yeah. tell them, and you can almost tell you exactly what they're going to say after you ask the question. Um, but yeah, I think you know from the outside, it's as simple as just you know calling those guys and and seeing how they worked uh, the rest of the time. But um, I'm with you. I just don't see how a guy with that kind of talent and that kind of athleticism at that position, knowing how important it is in today's NFL, um, the only way you stop some of the high powered offenses is to get pressure on a quarterback. That is the only thing that's slowed Patrick Mahomes down. Uh, the Chiefs offense, it was you get pressure on him just like anything else. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's why the keys to the game for every pregame show in the history of NFL has been get pressure on the quarterback. Get pressure <laughs> like, on the
2: quarterback.
1: <laughs> don't turn the ball over and get pressure on the opposing quarterback. Like That's it.
2: Although I will say with with Patrick Mahomes, it's get pressure on the quarterback with four because yeah. if you blitz him, he's very, very good at evading that and figuring that out very quickly so so
1: it helps if you have two of the fastest linebackers in the league to to go sideline to sideline as well so uh i can't think about of an example where that worked out I can't, I can't i can't think of yeah i can't let's,
2: think of what game you're referring on. to
1: at all let's move on carmen uh all right and the next one and this is one of my favorite players in the draft because and i've said this on this show multiple times that my favorite tweet coming out of the combine was that jordan davis was opting out of the nfl to join the avengers so uh, <laughs> his size and speed, I just hope he doesn't end up at the chargers, mm-hmm. but for chiefs fans, it he's the outside the box type of thinking If all the edges. If Carl is gone and your top four or five edges are all gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to give away the next, um, the next topic that we're going to discuss on injured players coming out. But if the top edges are gone and they don't feel comfortable with anybody who's left to draft at that spot, and there's not a wide receiver, if they don't want to wait, Jordan Davis would make sense to me to pair next to Chris Jones uh, mm-hmm. to just wreak some havoc. Doesn't fix the edge problem, but he's such a unique talent and skill set at his size that he's really the the most interesting player in this draft to me because a lot of people will see him as a two down player uh, just because right. of his size and because he can't go out there and play all three downs. Not necessarily most defensive tackles at this point don't, but. Where do you see, what do you see from Jordan Davis and what are you hearing or what are your just kind of overall thoughts to how interesting it's going to be for him? Cause he could go as high as, you know, top 10, um, but he could also fall into the twenties and it really wouldn't surprise me just because of that usage and the value as far as snap counts goes.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that you said it and that's a good way to phrase it too. Like, I don't think that the interior guys get enough credit for what happens on the outside. And Mm. (laughs) like, if you have guys eating up space in the, on the interior, like it makes things so easy for those outside guys and the defensive ends or outside linebackers, whatever scheme you're in um, and freeze them up in these one-on-one matchups. So if you can get Jordan Davis to do that, <clears throat> sorry. Um, especially in like a four, I, th- I feel like he would fit well into a four, three mm-hmm. um, and into that four, three front and be able to be that, that kind of versatile, really athletic guy um, up front. And it is interesting though, because I think after the combine, everyone was like, Oh my God, he's going to be a top 10 pick. Like, Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you see that you see that athletic performance out of a guy his size, and it's yeah, it's it's impressive. I think we're forgetting a little bit more about Devontae Wyatt, who I think before Jordan Davis's, um, you know, pro, like combine performance was maybe the consensus top defensive mm-hmm. tackle to come out of Georgia or that Georgia team. Um, now I think that he's definitely more of that like space eater, run stopper. Mm-hmm. Like he's not one of those. Like he's not really going to be I and mean, he could get penetration from the interior, but I don't, you know, see him being as versatile as Jordan Davis could be um for a team. But that being said, I don't really know. Yeah, like if you like you said, he could go in top 10, he could fall to the 20s. I've seen him fall a little bit more as we keep mm-hmm. doing these mock drafts, especially even on TDN site. Um, I've seen Jordan Jordan Davis get down into the 20s. And I think um if there's a guy like that or even an edge rusher that the Chiefs really like, you've got Two first-round picks back to back at the bottom of the round. Package those, send them up, yeah. and, and, and go up and get somebody. Then, if you know if that's a, the biggest need, um, I think that that's a great strategy for the Chiefs, especially because what you guys the Chiefs have what twelve picks. Yeah. Um, you don't need that. Like you're not that far away from fielding a fantastic team. It's not like you're in a rebuild and you need all those picks. So yeah. use them to your advantage and go and get the guys you want. So whether it is Jordan Davis or whether it is an edge rusher that you know is going to get eaten up mm. or taken before, you know, the bottom of the round, go up and get him.
1: Yeah. If it's a, like a Jermaine Johnson, like we we're talking about, you know, Thibodeau potentially falling that we all think is, is kind of BS, but right. if any of these other guys fall, that's going to be, Something to keep an eye on as far as Chiefs fans, at least in Kansas City, will be going crazy if these guys get into the, the 15 16s. Because uh, you know Brett Veach likes to be aggressive and move up. I don't want him to package both 29 and 30 to move up if they can. <laughs> so I'd hope he gets closer to like 17, 18 uh, to move up and get somebody. And like I said, it doesn't fix the problem necessarily at, at a starting edge. But uh, if you put Chris Jones next to another monster like Jordan Davis yeah. um, in some situations, you're going to wreak some havoc on the interior offensive lines uh, within and the AFC more. West.
2: One more thing on that, too, because you said it, too, where, like, most defensive tackles aren't three-down tackles anyway. They're not every-down right. tackles. Like, you want that rotation up front as much as possible. Keep these guys fresh. And and if you can do that, I know, like, I'm a little biased with the Bucks 3-4 system, mm-hmm. um, but that's what worked so well on that interior was that there was a constant rotation of these guys, and they weren't left in there um, even, like, as good as they were. Like, even a guy like Vita B- 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 yeah. who wasn't left in there yeah. for – you know he was he was in and maybe half the team's defensive snaps and was still very impactful and i think that that's kind of with the way that you know these offenses are i think you need to keep getting those really athletic guys in there so the more you can bolster that interior the better that the pass rush is going to be inevitably
1: yeah that's probably a better way to put it is how valuable is a player who's going to at best play 50 percent of your snaps because that's when he's at his most effective um rather than you know putting a guy at his size and speed out there, his size and just athleticism out there for 65, 70 snaps a game yeah. by the end of the game. Like you're not going to be getting the impactful player that no. you need in that situation. So, and that goes no. like to your point, that goes with all defensive tackles. Well, let's go to the fifth and final topic. And this is going to be an interesting one because we know at some level, um, at least one of these guys is definitely going to fall. And that is there's three guys that are kind of coming off injury that are projected first round picks. I kind of want to get your thoughts on just, just overall, you know, the the stock of these guys, if you will. And it's Michigan edge uh, rusher David Ojabo uh, with the Achilles injury suffered during his pro day. And you've got Andrew Booth. Uh, the defensive back who had a core muscle injury. And those are a little bit more common, but still not something you want to see in the off season or, you know, leading up to the NFL draft. And obviously Jamison Williams being the big one with the ACL, although we saw, and it's, it's inevitable. Every time there's a draft, you're going to get a social media video of a workout showing that they look great. It's just chalk it up. It's, it's part of like the agent, like to do list. uh, If you've got a player, but how do you see you know that kind of playing out? Let's start with Jamison Williams because he's the one that even though he's coming off, it's still based on projections that he's still going to go really high. And let's work our way backwards from the way that I explain him. So where do you see and what do you think about Jamison Williams?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that he is video or not. I always, I always look at those videos though. And I'm like, should he be doing that yet? Like, <laughs> do we really need to like put him through that and risk, you know, a, a setback or whatever? Like, can't we just stick to that? Like we know what ACLs are. We know what ACL tears yeah. entail. We know what the rehab process entails. Can we just trust them on that? Um, and I think that, I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily even, I think it means that he'll fall a little bit just because of how deep this wide receiver class is. And because you've got other options that are, could be just as effective um, for your franchise to take earlier in the round that being said i don't think he falls out of the second round or falls into the second round rather i think that you know again because we know it's an acl tear we know how to rehab this we know how much time this is going to take He still he still should be ready for next season um and and coming off of that injury and i think that you're getting a really really good receiver at maybe a little bit of a discount price so i think that there will be plenty of suitors for him. And I wouldn't be surprised if you even see like someone trade up to like seeing that he's falling and being like, no, we're just going to scoop him up at this point. Cause you like, you know, he's a good player.
1: Yeah. I, you get value, especially when you're talking to uh, Bucks fan bears, a little different now, now, but you have teams like the chiefs where anything were value where a player might not be, able to necessarily have that impact right away, but still has value for you six months from now where you're all of a sudden you have a fully healthy Jameson Williams because maybe it's just me, but I kind of assume that most NFL players at some point, whether it's high school, college, or in the NFL, have, have torn an ACL. Like, I think it's just so common now. It's like, it's a common thing for people to come back from. And Achilles, much more significant injury, but we saw with Cam Akers, we saw with Eric Fisher uh, coming back when he went to the Colts. Like even that is an injury that I think it was like six months Coming back yeah. from an Achilles, I don't
2: think no, that's that normal. Was, that was no, that was insane. I was again like, should he really be out there? I don't think so.
1: I said to one of the former uh, Chiefs athletic trainers, uh, Aaron Borgman, and I was just like, is this nor- Like, is this the new age thing? And he's like, that guy's a that guy's a mutant. Like he's not a real person. That's not normal at all. Uh, But as you know, science and you know, just medicine get better. uh, You're going to see these things not have quite as an impact as they did, but I got to go straight to David Ojabo because he's the one where if you can, if, if he can fall because it's a huge need for the chiefs, um, They haven't had a history of necessarily taking injured players in these kind of situations before. We've seen it with some other guys, Jalen Smith being one a few years ago, different position, different situation, but it was a need for the chiefs at the time and they did not um, take an injured player. And, and the chiefs vice president of sports performance and medicine, Rick Burkholder is one of the best, if not the best mm-hmm. athletic trainer in the NFL, he's been the president of PFATs. If they sign off on him, he's okay. If not, Doesn't mean he didn't sign off on him, but I will trust the decision they make at that time. Sure. What do you see as far as David Ojabo's stock? Because it's a pretty serious injury and it's almost Mm -hmm. a redshirt type of season for him. Um, There's a lot of storylines here. You could spend an entire podcast talking through the value for this Mm -hmm. one. But what's your feelings on, on David Ojabo in this draft?
2: Well, I think that you brought up a good good point, too, in that like there is a very thorough evaluation process that each of these teams do on these on these prospects and whether or not they're injured. Right. Like they put them through the however many point tests at the combine to and like if if you have anything wrong with you, they're going to find it. Um, But that being said, yeah, I mean, his injury is so significant. It happened so recently. Um, that you know, at the pro day. So it was like that, like you just hate to see that. I hate yeah. when something like that happens at a pro day because it does, it puts you back for the entire season. So again, now you're looking at someone that where he was a first round talent because he could be an immediate impact player. Now he can't have that immediate impact anymore. So are you going to spend that kind of capital on someone that you're going to have to sit anyway, probably at least for most of the season. Um, yeah. And then especially it's not as easy to assimilate. I feel like, you know, for those edge rushers into a defense, a brand new defense, especially at, at the next level. Whereas I feel like when you're talking about someone like Jameson Williams, especially like joining the chiefs, even like you have a, a, a set established offense, you got good pieces around him that can help him. It's not like he's trying to do this all on his own and he's trying to fit into something that everyone's kind of trying to figure out. Um, whereas on defense, I feel like, you know, that it evolves so much and it's just going to be hard. So I don't, I think that, you know, he's going to fall significantly and I don't, again, that's a really hard injury. And some guys don't come back from injuries like that. So yeah. like, uh, it, like, my heart just sank for him. Cause he's such a good player and you really have to bank on the fact that, and again, if you have a really great you know, training staff that you you trust that can get them, you know, to where you think and and says that you know evaluates him and says no, we can get him back to full tilt. Then that's something you consider as well. But those are conversations that go on behind closed doors that won't be that the public won't be privy to. <laughs> right, but it's fun to talk
1: about. <laughs> we just kind of prognosticate yeah. and just kind of guess around what what they're thinking. But you know, kind of the the this isn't a unique thought that I'm bringing up, and I've I've shared this, and others have shared the same sentiment of. Yeah you know you get to the end of the first round and you know and, and we you know we're guessing at you know instant impact but you know there's a lot of research how many impact ru- pass rushers do you see as rookies who aren't taken in the top 15 right like it it's a hard position to make an instant impact well if you get past your know, your fourth or fifth top you know defensive end at the end of the first round and they're all gone whoever you draft at edge at that point isn't going to necessarily step in and make an instant impact so if you're already looking at kind of a red shirt or a situational pass rusher type situation for a guy that you're taking like a Boye Mafe or one of those mm-hmm. guys who could be available at the end of the first, a Josh Pascal, um, mm-hmm. who might be able to start right away, but has a, I guess, a lower ceiling uh, from what some people are saying just about what type I of I don't understand
2: that with him. After talking to him at the combine, he was so impressive. And again, yeah. I don't know I don't want to necessarily put a ton of stock into like what is said at a podium session, but the way like he was asked to break stuff down four reporters and just his football IQ was off the charts and just his study habits and work ethic that he was talking about. I was like, ceiling. Okay. He's, I, I, yeah. He's impressive.
1: Yeah. He's very much the, I'm very much in the double up camp. And so mm-hmm. I'm my ideal scenario now is to take an Ojabo at like 29, you get the fifth year option. So when he's healthy, you yeah. can get him at that, but then follow up with it with like a Josh Pascal um, mm-hmm. at 50 Cause they're picking, you know, just a, a little bit later and then they've got 62 also to double up on edge. And so you kind of get that high ceiling, you know, level of an edge rusher that the chiefs, you know, even if they don't win the super bowl. They're going to be good enough where they're not going to be picked. they are not going to be getting the top four defensive end in any draft uh, right. with where they're going to be drafting consistently. So if you can get an Ojabo and again, double it up with another guy, cause they need um, a few guys at that position. I love that. Um, but again, I'm not the one having to make those calls and I'm not yeah. the one staring at their MRIs and, and talking with them about all of Thank it. Thank God, but
2: right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a job that, uh, it's a thankless job for, yeah, a, for really a lot really of cool. reasons and for a lot of people. But uh, but yeah, no. You have any other thoughts on the draft as we wrap the show up? I really appreciate. Carmen Vitale of mm-hmm. the, the Draft Network. Um, you. What's your one big surprise in this draft? Uh, let's get that. And I'll do like a rapid fire questions for you right now.
2: Ooh, one big surprise. Um, I think I already said it though, because I think that like it's it's going to be that Kenny Pickett's going to be the first quarterback taken, and I think it's not going right. to be until later. That's my big surprise.
1: Right, what do you mean by later? Let's put a um, let's put a number on this.
2: After the top fifteen.
1: Okay, so no quarterback until after the top 15. First pick yeah. being Kenny Pickett. All right. Since I'm you chan- myself into a
2: hole right now because I have to do my mock
0: draft for tomorrow. <laughs> so freezing cold takes will be
1: all over it, Carmen. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, And then what you had a chance to go to the combine and talk with a lot of these guys. We went to the Shrine Bowl uh, and had a chance to interview some of these guys. A lot of them will be picked on Saturday. Um, who was the, your favorite or a few favorite players that you interviewed or that you talked to?
2: Uh, hands down, Chuck McDuffie. I love this kid. I am obsessed with him. I, he is my draft crush darling. He's whatever he, you know, he is. I just, I was so impressed by him. And then I also went back and I talked to a few like scouts and and coaches about him too. And just his versatility and his attitude is just awesome. Like as a corner um, he wants to play safety because he wants to hit people and he spends four to five hours a night studying film whether that's his old film whether that's film of you know various teams in the league other schemes he is just like this football junkie and he is also just a smiley wonderful positive person and so i can't i i ugh, i wish that he was going to be available for the bucks at 27 cuz i shudder to think what Todd Bowles could do with him in that defense, because he could just go everywhere and do everything. And I wish that that would happen, but it won't. He's not getting if, out of the top 15.
1: If the chiefs somehow trade up and shock everybody, cause it's not a name I've necessarily heard, but it's a position uh, that a lot of guys are being kind of mocked. The Jalen Petrie, the Lewis scene, uh cornerback safeties. It, it's all in there. Chiefs need some, some depth in a lot of different places. Um, and some guys who can step in and make an impact. And Trent McDuffie seems to be one of those guys, but if they chiefs end up drafting Trent McDuffie, you're going to be the first text message saying, when can we have you on? When can we have you on (laughs) to talk about why you were professing all of this admiration? admiration, Uh,
2: yeah, no, I mean, like I said, he can just do everything on the back end of a defense and for chiefs who are needy at both the corner and safety, those corner and safety spots. Um, yeah, he'd be a great fit there too, but I want him to go to the. Box.
1: <laughs> I kind of hope it happens now, just so I can have that text message, and uh, um... I trust trust you and what you're saying about him. And I know from you know following all the draft stuff, obviously, uh, people think very highly of him. But it's cool to uh, to have that confirmed by somebody who sat there and talked to him. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, my favorite player that we interviewed, and I think the the laboratory guys Kent, Craig, and Maddie would agree, uh, Marquand McCall. Uh, the defensive mm-hmm. tackle uh, from Kentucky was a whole lot mm-hmm. of fun to talk to. Jelani Woods was also a whole lot of fun to talk to. He? That's
2: Our fun. producer
1: Tucker had him rolling uh, before <laughs> we started that interview. Um, he was just laughing his tail off, and we had to like stop it uh, to get it going. He was a lot of fun. There are a lot of good personalities out there, and obviously the K State <laughs> alum in me is going to be happy to see wherever Skylar Thompson goes. I think Skylar Thompson is going to be a value. Uh, for whatever room he ends up in, I think he's going to be a spot starter in the league. I don't think these guys who mm-hmm. step in and necessarily lead your organization. Um, but backup quarterbacks aren't there to lead your organization. Backup quarterbacks are to be assets for your starter, to help them mm-hmm. out. You ask guys like Chase Daniel. <laughs> he's made a <laughs> hell of a career um, being a great sounding board for starting quarterbacks. Yeah, Ryan Griffin.
2: Ryan Griffin is on Chad Henney.
1: He's another guy. He just he makes a career out of it, uh, but yeah, that's what they're there for. The
2: quarterbacks in the in the Bucks quarterback room, actually. <laughs> we joked <laughs> at the Bucks that Ryan and Blaine were basically Tom's um, offensive QC's. Yeah. So they were they were they were his quality control coaches, is what they were.
1: The, the amount of stuff that are put on the backup quarterbacks that have nothing to do with their ability to step in and win a football game. Like, uh, they're, it's worth their sport. weight
2: by far. Like they're like oh they were they're the best at that. But I just yeah. thought it was funny. It was like oh, and, Tom and his and his QC's.
1: And Skylar Thompson is going to be. I've had a chance to to be around a lot of people. I know I talked to Skylar a few times. He is absolutely one of those people that you just. He's been a winner everywhere he's gone, and mm-hmm. he. Everybody, his teammates, everybody speaks so highly of him that I am biased on this one um, but he's going to be a value for, for any team, but Carmen Vitale of the Draft Network, we appreciate you for joining us here on Outside the Trenches, presented by our friends at Jack Stack Barbecue. If you have a chance over the next few days and you're hungry, go grab some Jack Stack, six different locations around Kansas City and they will take care of you but Carmen, we appreciate your time thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for, for having me, good to see you